This is the iMoveU podcast, getting you private practice ready. We give you fresh ideas on mindset, communication, and clinical skills so you can have a fulfilled career. What's up, legends? I'm Jeff, the running EP, and I am the host for the IMU podcast for this episode. And we have Mick and Peter. Guys, how you going? Yo, good. Good brother. Little yeah. wave. How's, how's our morning's been? Fantastic, mate. As we were just pointing out the obvious before, coffee, beach walk, and uh, into a podcast. And, and, and we're going <laughs> to open up. We're going to open up with a hot topic. It is the job interview. And it's definitely something that a lot of people have been thinking about transitioning into, especially for new grads going into the healthcare industry. And I guess for starters, I'm going to throw this to you, Mick. For you as a business owner, what's, what's your primary concern or what do you, what do you think about for, from your standpoint as a business owner going into the interview process or into the hiring of a new potential employee? Yeah, I struggled to answer this one off air. Pete's got a great one. But for me, it was like, um, it was like not going into an interview where you know someone's not being themselves because they're, they're really scared or rigid. But at the same time, I expect that and, and I get it because like, that's scary. Like you've just gone five years at uni and you're getting this opportunity. You feel like you have to nail it. And I think I, yeah, that when I see someone not being themselves, that's, that's hard. Uh, and I, I guess I wouldn't say I fear that, but it's like you can tell that the person's got so much more to give and they're, they're nervous. And yeah, so I try and break down those barriers, like try and have a walking interview or go for a coffee and just like talk about something goofy. That's, um, that's my one. Just on that, I remember reading in Dan Pink or listening in Dan Pink's book. And one of the things they said was, if you were to look at someone in an interview versus look at their bedroom, the studies and the stats show that you'd actually have a better choice of picking the right candidate from looking at their bedroom than from actually interviewing them. So I thought that was a random fact for you. How good's Dan Pink? Oh, I love him. Rock him. So Mick, in that situation, you're fearing that you're not creating like an accurate picture or a safe environment for this potential employee to feel comfortable to be themselves. Yeah, you, that's my my primary goal going in is like, how can I make this person comfortable? And it's probably not show me how you're doing the assessment, right? I, I would say like four or five years ago, that was the traditional interview. Like, I'm going to pretend I have a meniscus tear. You're going to do your clinical test in the in the consult room. Like, that's a surefire way to have someone feel nervous and get and not be themselves. Um, so, yeah, my primary concern is like trying to make them comfortable by any means. Peter, I guess from, from your standpoint, from a business owner, you're not only just thinking about in the moment who this person is, also potentially thinking about where they're going to be, if they're going to be in your team in the future. How does that impact, I guess, your, your thought process or your concerns in the interview at that point in time? Yeah, it's a good question. I think for me, there's a few things. The first one being the culture of the business, because in any small bit, like let's think of anything less than 40 or 50 employees being a really small business. Every single person you bring in has a massive impact on the culture and that's either positive, neutral or negative. And so if you bring in someone who's negative, then you're going to bring other people down. And what does that do to your current team and the dynamic that you have? Neutral, not so bad. They just sort of fit in with the culture and positive, they actually drive it forward. So for me, I'm always thinking, 
how can this person actually fit in? Like what piece of the puzzle are they going to be here and how are they going to positively affect what we're trying to create or how could they negatively affect that and what impact could that have down the line? And then the other thing going through my head, and this is probably the big one is, I want someone who's there for the long term, who's really invested in what we're doing. So I don't want someone who's coming for a year to learn as much as they can and then go somewhere else because we're looking to invest a lot of time, effort, energy, money, really bring them into the family. And for them to just up and leave, I'm kind of like, oh, that's the fear for me is that they, employees have a lot of power around that. They can give you their one or two weeks notice and be like, see you later, I'm going and I want to take my client list with me or whatever it may be, but like they, they can just go very quickly. Uh, there's an interesting power dynamic there. So it's picking the right person because you're going to invest so much into that person. And for me, I want to make sure I'm doing, <laughs> I love investing, but I want to make sure that it's a sound investment and not, not so much like uh, my recent investment in Smooth Love Potion on crypto, but more like the index fund uh, that I've been investing in long-term. Yeah, so in a way, um, when you're meeting this person from the get-go, you're, you're concerned that you may not be able to, I guess, get an accurate picture of in terms of their needs or you can be, being able to connect and understand that. Because if you don't, then you may set yourself up for that scenario. Maybe. I, I don't think I've thought of it like that before. I think to me, it's a little bit more understanding what it is that they really want to achieve. And are they here because they want to get a job? Or are they here because they want a career with us and to be a part of what we're doing? Because I remember when I, when I first finished and I just applied for every job and I, was, I would be more than happy to take any private practice job. It wasn't necessarily where I wanted to be long-term. And so in my head, I'm thinking going, well, is this where they want to be long-term and they, do they want to invest in being part of our team and part of our culture? Or are they going, this would be a cool job on my resume and it's a nice stepping stone to where I want to be. Uh, that's, that's a little bit of what goes through my head and how I'm trying to discern that throughout the interview. And I mean, no one can see the future. So I can't say we're incredibly successful. And if you look at our hiring, sometimes you get it right. Sometimes you get it wrong. It almost seems like a flip of a coin sometimes. Mick, is that something that you kind of juggle in your, your approach coming in? Yeah, it's hard because how are you supposed to know where you want to be in three years when you've just graduated uni and like, it's, it's obvious, like selfishly, that's what you would love as a business owner is someone who commits like three, five, 10 years because stability is a hard thing to have in a small private practice. Um, but I also am full of empathy because I didn't know, Pete didn't know, we've, we've left places and started our own businesses. So the thing, I've really relaxed on my interview criteria. I just try and make it fun and I want to hear that person's kind of uniqueness and craziness come through because usually with that that gives me more of an idea like I can build off that if someone like if someone's called the running EP I'm like you know how did you get to that and and where did your passion start with that like let's let's talk about that I know you're not going to be a great physio or EP like you've just left uni we're, we're all on the same playing field but if there's something a bit more unique I can tap into to me that is what can keep someone for three five ten years and it's a juggling act of holding on too tight. What's that saying? Like, if you hold on too tight, you can kill it. So, um, yeah, it's a balance. It's a balance. Yeah, I, it, it, it definitely sounds like in terms of much like a, like a relationship, when you're with someone, over time, this person is going to change as well as for yourself, the business, the practice may change as well. And then seeing in the future, 
there's the possibility that you're going to deviate or there's possibility that you may even get a, get closer throughout the process. And on the one hand, of course, having that, that, set, that certainty and knowing we can have uh, potentially have this person for the long-term commit and help grow the business at the same time, having new grads or practitioners coming into the industry, not quite sure who they are and not, mm-hmm quite sure what they want to achieve and where they want to go can be a a difficult process. There's only one thing I think I've learned in the last three years to actually not combat that, but facilitate that. And that's the, like we do a lot on radical candor. Don't we Pete? the Kim Scott video? If you could look up Kim Scott, radical candor, the, the earlier you can encourage that in your culture or with the new team member or the earlier, the new team member, is comfortable with radical candor and actually speaking their truth, that is the only possible solution to growing together. So many people who I see leave after two or three years, I still get DMs every day of like, hey, Mick, what do you think I should do in this scenario? And I'm like, happy to help, but you're asking the wrong person. Like what has happened in the relationship where you're not bringing this to your mentor or your employer? the sooner someone can get those skills down, I think the more likely both people are going to ha- be like happy and successful. Um, so that after everything I've been through, like strategies and communication styles and interview tips and filtering processes and all of that, I've kind of just like let all of that go. And I'm like, let's get down to like your truth, your craziness and radical candor with each other. Um, that's kind of where I was landing in my shower this morning. Pete, anything to add to that? I think for, for me, it's it's similar to that. I think a lot of new grads put so much emphasis on going in and going, I need to be technically the best therapist. We don't even look at anything technically. Uh, in any of our interviews, we I don't want to see how you teach someone to do an exercise. I don't care how you do mobs or manipulations or anything like that because those are skills that I expect, A, you need to have done a reasonably average job at teaching you, so I don't expect them to be great. But B, they're very easy to teach. They're very coachable. Uh, So I think coachable is a really important word here because we look for people that are willing to learn and people that are willing to be a part of a team. Because if you're willing to learn, then we can really teach you any of those skills. And if you're a good human and you, you know, as Mick said, you, you know your truth and you know who you are and you've got your own little craziness there, that's someone we can work with. And that's someone who we'd like to go and have a beer or a soda water with after work and catch up and that's the kind of culture that we want to create and we can teach you all of the technical skills that's so simple but it's really hard to teach someone to be coachable and to teach them to be a good human and so people that take on feedback really well typically turn out to be you know the most amazing team members and that's not an easy skill to have and just a little thing that we do look for within an interview when we ask people how in a team or a group setting tell us about something you've achieved that you're really proud of it's looking for little things like, do they say I or we? Uh, and that's come from a few different studies. And it's not saying that's a make or break, but if someone's working in a team and they talk about saying they achieved in a team and they say I a lot, it means they could hint to them being a bit narcissistic and putting themselves before others versus the person who says we a lot is really acknowledging everyone who is a part of that team. And, and we really want people who are team players at our business. That's really powerful there, Pete. Like you mentioned how when you meet someone, especially like a new grad coming out of university and one question that they may, they ask themselves is, well, there's a lot of 
new grads just like me just coming out and we may have very similar, I wouldn't say the same skill set. There may be people who are a little bit more confident in their technical clinical skills. And yet you're mentioning there, Pete, that you're also looking at other things in their practice that mean a lot. I wouldn't say a lot more, but for some people, it's a lot more valuable, like communication, like working with a team. Can you elaborate on that further? I guess if someone were to ask, how can I increase my chances of landing a job coming out of university, especially when there's a lot of people like myself clinically? I think my biggest thing is understand your strengths and understand your weaknesses and be open to learning. Because if you come into the interview and you tell me that, hey, you're fantastic, this, this, and this, and you really talk yourself up, I'm probably a little bit concerned because I know how shit I was when I graduated uni and I know how bad pretty much every graduate is. And I know the steep learning curve we have to go through. So if someone were to come in and say, look, I just really want to learn and to be the best therapist and I'm open to being coached and I'm open to looking at different ways of doing things and I understand that how I've been taught something isn't necessarily the best way of doing it and there's probably a million other ways to do it. Honestly, if someone came in and that they had that mindset and that they answered questions in a way that I, you know what, I don't really know all the answers and I really want to learn and I want to be at a place that allows me to learn and grow, that's someone I'm really leaning towards already because that's someone who is very coachable. And we've definitely had people come into interviews before who they didn't seem very coachable and they, they were very strong in their bias or this is how I do this and then I do it like this and this is the best way to do this. And when we challenge them and said, you know, have you thought about this or could you look at this another way? And they're like, no, 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 like, this is the best way. To me, that's a bit of a red flag as someone who's not willing to look through different perspectives and someone who's not willing to be coached. What are your thoughts, Mick? Have you come across that at all? I just, I, I just thought about one interview I did have and, and uh, this, the new grad was like, loved Adam Meekin stuff. And that's okay. And I was actually pumped that, that they'd followed a lot of people in the space while st still being at uni, but it probably leaned a little bit towards, I, I, I don't believe in manual therapy because I've been following X and I've read Y. And that to me was an example of what you're saying is like, okay, we've got someone coming in here where they're already like far right and really strong. And that, that just had me thinking like, I don't, I love that. I really love that. But the way you're phrasing that versus, yeah, I've been into some Adamic and stuff lately and I'm probably learning that manual therapy doesn't work this way versus saying I don't do manual therapy and like private practice physio in Australia, that's, that's different. It's not right or wrong. It's just different. So that, that example came to mind when you said that. I guess a common a common concern, especially from you grads that I've spoken to is that concern of what if I don't have the answers and therefore I need to have all the answers. I need to create the certainty, not just for myself, but also for my clients. And if they don't have that, at least for us, we may perceive there's so many ways to skin a cat. And hearing you mention Pete being able to say, I really just want to learn. And that implies that you don't have all the answers and there's a lot of space for you to improve. And that starts by saying, there's a lot of things that I don't know. And that can be really scary for someone to, to not only just to rationalize, but also just to communicate to someone from the get go. And I would assume that some people would think that if I'm going to communicate that, 
then this may may, may even hinder my ability to get this job because I'm not enough. Yeah, it's almost, uh, you've heard of the Dunning-Kruger effect, obviously. And for, for those listening, the Dunning-Kruger effect is how early on in anything, you got to the top of Mount Stupid and you feel like you know everything. And then the more you know, the more you realize you don't know as you sort of come down this very steep slope. And then over time, you start to learn more of what you didn't know, but still have an understanding of there's lots that you don't know out there of the limitations of your own knowledge. And a good example of this, I think, is a friend of mine, Brendan Mowat, who is one of the smartest people I've ever talked to. And I don't know how his head literally fits uh, on his body there. He must have a very, very strong neck. But the more I talk to him, the more I, I really appreciate the fact that he's very, he has a lot of conviction in what he does know. But at the same time, he's able to bring that across in a way that's, however, we don't know this, or these are the limitations of this. Or if more evidence were to come out that were against this, I would be happy to change my views and my beliefs. And I think if you just pull that back to being a new grad, you can't possibly know everything. We don't know everything. And just because we may have a bias towards one thing, it doesn't mean that's correct either. And I think what you want to find is you want to find a clinic where they've got an open-minded, a growth mindset, because you want to practice in a certain way. You want to be practicing in a way that helps people. But the more that we research, the more that we understand, the more, the more that we realize we don't understand exactly what helps people. And um, whole myriad of things help people and they help people to get from a to b to achieve their goals and for some people it may be manual therapy or exercise or it may be cognitive therapy there's a whole range of different things and it's just understanding that we don't have all the answers you can't possibly have all the answers and there's just more nuance when we're dealing with individual people in front of us and maybe if you're thinking about the actual interview and you're going well how do what is that what the original question was? If they don't know everything or the answers to the question in the interview or more with clients? More, more with the actual interview. With the actual interview. I think it's fine to just say, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. We don't know everything. And I'm sure we'll ask questions that we don't expect them to know the answer to, but I'm expecting them to say that they don't know. Mick, in terms of a potential candidate coming into the interview process, there's a concern that I don't know the right questions to ask, or at least questions that will give me an idea of, is this a place, a place that's for me, a place where I can contribute? And from what I'm hearing, it's not just me talking about my skills or my accomplishments, but what sort of questions can a candidate ask that can give them a greater picture of what this practice looks like it also gives you an ability you the practice owner to understand a little bit more about them yeah i'd I'd be asking um what what are the plans for the practice like where where are you going what was your original vision as the owner and how is the team contributing to that and are there any particular niches you want to go in or are you moving are you getting a bigger gym space are you starting to explore this type of therapy as a team so I'd be asking that. And then I'd be doing like, as the, as the person going for the interview, I'd be researching as much about that company as possible, like Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and like seeing what spaces they're involved in and seeing what kind of CPDs they're doing. And I'd be asking about those and not just asking, but I would be adding my own flavor. He's like, I'm actually really interested in running or I really love how it looks like you guys are moving towards you know, you did a communication course with Jeff, like that, that really interests me. Um, can you tell me more about that? So 
they're probably the two or three angles I'd be taking. And it also shows good communication skills. One of my favorite things is when the person coming for the interview is asking lots of questions about us and about the business. It doesn't have to be clinical, just like, where are you going? And that's going to bring clarity to both parties, I think. Pete, anything to add there? I do love when people ask questions that just show that they, they're interested, they've done a little bit of research, um, even having gone on the website and gone through the basics and asking questions about different parts of the business that they've seen that interest them. I've seen you have this. How does this work? Or I've seen you work with this type of clientele. How did you get into that? Um, I've had one person ask a really good sort of question in, in an interview where they sort of said, well, what sort of clients do you get here? Like, what's your ideal client that you'd like to be getting in? And how do you see me fitting into that? So just allowing them to sort of reframe that and ask more questions of the business owner so that they can get an understanding of what they're getting themselves into. Because if they ask zero questions, I'm starting to think that this person doesn't really care about working here. They just want a job. It's, it's like going on a date. You go on a first date and if you literally ask zero questions about the person in front of you and they literally, they just talk to you the whole time. You're like, I'm just happy with anything here. I'm just happy to be on a date. That's what we don't want an interview to be like. We want that person to actually take an interest in us and ask questions so that they can go, all right, is this somewhere I actually want to work at? Are these people that align with our values and our visions? So that's how I think of it. The thing I'd want to know, Pete, is pathways. Like, Mm. um, can you, this would be a great question. Can you tell me about someone who's been at the clinic for three years or four years or five years and how has their role changed how has their therapy changed? How has their roster changed? I, I think that that as a new grad would give you a really good feel of what's happening at clinics. The other thing is some clinics are just busy. They've been in the community for 20 or 30 years and you'll step into them and you'll be seeing 40 patients from day one. Other clinics are new and, and young. And when you start, you might be starting from zero. So I think I think those, those things are important to know as well. Definitely. What about yourself, Jeff? Yeah, like I, I feel like the assumption when it comes to interviews, it's as the interviewee, I've got to impress. I've got to, I'm going to be the one getting all the questions and I need to provide the answers and I just need to get through it. And if I'd get through it well, then it's more likely that I would get it. And yet... The interesting thing here that we're talking about is that what are the questions that's in your in your mind? What do you want to know? And by asking more questions, that's telling some sort of message. And with that message, it's like, okay, I've got somewhat of an interest or somewhat of a passion. And I'm just wondering if you if you're going that direction too. And what you were saying there, Mick, is like, okay, well, in addition to that, is there someone in your practice that's going through a similar pathway or similar direction, or if not the same. And I'd love to know what that looks like. And is there a way that I could potentially do that? Or as well as, is there a potential pathways that may allow me to go a different pathway if my, I guess my interest changes. And I think that's so powerful that when we're asking a question that gives the business owner or the interviewer an answer or some sort of clarity of the type of person that you're talking to right now. And also the type of relationship that you will have not only now, but in the future, it just paints a a little bit of a picture 
but not the whole picture, of course. Yeah. yeah I think yeah. just just on that one, uh, sorry, Mick, is make it a conversation. And a conversation is a two-way street. It means you're asking questions and they're asking questions. If it's purely an interview, they're asking questions, you're answering, you're talking about yourself. And imagine that in real life. If someone was just asking questions and you talked about yourself, it wouldn't be great. They wouldn't leave feeling like, oh, that was fantastic. Now, they might have learned a lot about you, but it's an interesting sort of dynamic there. Whereas if you can flip that, ask them questions. People love talking about themselves. I guarantee you, small business owners will love to tell you their story, where they've come from, where they're going, the type of team members they want, the type of clientele they want, what their vision is, their core values. They would love to talk about all of that because they're so proud of that, I'd say. So can you make that a two-way street where they leave feeling that they've had a fantastic conversation, they've built some genuine rapport with you, and they're like, all right, I get to, I understand this person. It's not just someone who's told me about themselves, but they've taken an interest in me. And if they've taken an interest in me, then they're taking an interest in the practice. And I feel a lot more comfortable already, even subconsciously, that this person is going to be able to work with clients and build rapport effectively. So it's my two cents on the uh, conversational style interview. And I think Mick does that well by taking it outside the interview room and going for a walk or a coffee you take away that barrier, that feeling of like someone sitting here interviewing and it becomes more of a conversation. That's really interesting there. You mentioned there, Pete, core values. And it, it definitely sounds like it's your recognition of your company's core values. It influences your decision making. And of course, when we, when we see someone, we look at their resume and it may look like it's 10 out of 10, looks amazing. Yet, for some reason, things don't feel right or a perfect or a good fit. And so I guess my question, I'll, I'll throw this to you, Mick. Like, how does your own recognition of your company's core values or your practice's core values impact your decision making? I was thinking, I was thinking about the private practice landscape in Australia at the moment, and it's competitive. It's tough. There's you can walk to five physio clinics from any one of our clinics in Sydney. And I think this is a narrative that maybe we don't talk about, but we should, and it could actually link into the burnout narrative. With so many clinics, I think a lot of business owners do expect the team member to build their list or have some input into building their list. But we all know there's also a narrative out there of, young team members who are feeling burnt out doing that and, and having the, no, that's the business owner's job. So there's, there's something there I was hoping to explore. And what I was thinking my top three things in the interview is communication, number one, is like asking those questions and everything we've just covered and aligning core values. But number two, I kind of had like entrepreneurial spirit and proof of work. And what I wanted to touch on was that I think if you can come to an interview and show some kind of entrepreneurial spirit of like, hey, I work at this hockey club or I've played football for these guys or I'm in a run club down the road and like I would love to introduce them or I'm part of this community. Our recent team member, Sebi, is part of a bagpipe community and I'm like, we've never treated people who played the bagpipes. That's pretty cool. So it's like, like you know, it's like that's a new community. And so... I'm mindful that there are people out there that would be saying, no, that's rubbish. The business owner's job is to build the business. And I would say it's both. Of course, I'm running Google ads and Facebook ads and making sure our website's pretty and sending emails out and developing community relationships. But there's no point me doing that 
if Jeff's the treating EP or the treating physio. So the second most important thing I'm looking for is like, are you in the community? Do you have a bit of entrepreneurial spirit? And are you probably willing to do a bit of that groundwork in your first one or two years? And that is only because the private practice landscape is so damn competitive. It's pretty rare you'll walk into a private practice and have a full list right now, unless you're going to a place that's been around for 10, 15, 20 years. So back to the core values, community is actually one of the words that is our core values. And about 10 billion businesses probably have community as a core value, but we actually really live it out and I'm proud of it. And what that looks like for us is that every single week, you'll probably find us at a gym, a run club, a CrossFit box, a lawn bowls place, or we're in people's Facebook groups providing videos for them. So community is probably our biggest core value. We speak to that in the interview. And I'm looking for clues or signs that this person has been part of a community and contributed to a community. The last part of that is proof of work. If you can bring proof of work to the interview, like I've done this presentation for my soccer club, or actually I've just spent the last three months spending three or four hours at a few private practices, um, or we asked them to produce a video as part of the interview process. To me, that's all proof of work. And it, it says more than anything you could verbally say in the interview. And then lastly is clinical skills. So if there was a top three, I would actually place clinical skills last. That's, uh, that was my rant. I had that pre-planned in my shower whiteboard session. Pete, any thoughts? I, I just love the fact that if someone had asked you in the interview about your core values, that they would have got that rant. And yeah. how, how valuable would that have been to them? And how that information there for them to go, all right, I understand that a huge part of this business is being a part of the community and getting out there. And it's not just seeing clients, but it's going out to gyms. It's being part of Facebook groups. It's most likely doing videos. All the questions that come up from what Mick just said, you can dive deep into each of those. And if you hadn't have asked that and you didn't really understand that, then you don't really understand Mick and his clinic. And I guarantee you, if you took a genuine interest in each of those and said, hey, look, I'd love to go out to gyms. That'd be awesome. I actually feel really uncomfortable on camera. Those sorts of things and those questions that come up there. And then that gives Mick the opportunity to dive in. Well, we don't expect you to just jump on camera straight up. We're going to help you and support you with this. It becomes a two-way conversation. And Mick leaves that interview going, this person took the time to ask the right questions to get the information out of Mick. And leaving that, he's like, all right, well, this person may fit in here or here. And they've even self-identified the things that they don't feel comfortable or aren't fantastic at. And to me, I think that's a fantastic interview when you leave and you have those feelings, those thoughts, and someone's been open and honest and it's just bloody brilliant. Yeah, I think the powerful thing here is that this is like a two-way street and how if you're the interviewee or a candidate, the type of questions, what you say, how you say it impacts the engagement or impacts the actual conversation and impacts your, your ability to see the picture of what it looks like now, what can potentially look like in the future. And for a business owner standpoint, it just gives you the opportunity to really understand this person. And if you create the environment, like there are factors that you have control over that you can create an environment where this person feels a little more comfortable and being able to express themselves a little bit more honestly. And as a result, you have a little bit more certainty. But of course, we, we can never guarantee what's going to happen but at the same time we can be a little more confident or less confident on the decision moving forward and so i think it's so powerful that 
we have some we have control of how we can bring ourselves to the table the questions we may ask or even areas that we can potentially explore but as an interviewer you have that responsibility to bring that up because if you don't that that conversation might not even come up yeah i like that i think um i think there's so much an interviewee can bring but they might not be realizing it because you're confining your thoughts to the clinical space so think about everything you're interested in and everything you've done in the last few years and all the clubs you've played for or the groups you've been part of or maybe your own social media page or there's there's a lot you bring to the table i would encourage people to think about it outside of the clinical space as a close um we'll start with you p what's Mm. one or two tips that you would love to offer new grads or new practitioners coming into the healthcare space and possibly entering their first couple of interviews? I think the first one is ask more questions and ask more genuine questions. And it's a genuine question if it leads into another question. If it's a question, they answer it and then you ask the next question and it kind of feels like a list you're going through. And that's fine. You might want to write things down and have a bit of a list, but listen to the answer and dig deeper, asking more genuine questions. And the second one, and this is super important too, is accept the fact that we don't expect you to know everything. And we really appreciate people who say, I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. All right. That for me, those two things together, it's someone who's humble, hungry, and they're willing to work really hard. They take a genuine interest. And that's someone who definitely gets another interview from me. Mick? Uh, My top two would be, research research the the company and do a bit of stalking and figure out what they've done and where they're going and maybe even chat to some of their longer term employees um and then the second thing would be that kind of proof of work concept like i would guarantee hire you if you said yeah in my last six months at uni i went and hung out at these three private practices just because i wanted to and i wanted to see what it was like before i came to the interview or maybe you're you're like I've got this soccer club I've been working with. I've already told them I'm a physio. I'd love to bring that in. Or maybe you're producing some kind of blog or video. If you came to the interview with proof of work and a genuine interest and you've been out there hustling, I'm like, this is, this, this is someone who actually wants to be here. Like that would really excite me. Definitely. I think at least knowing that much like with any relationship and this applies also to the interview, sometimes it just doesn't work out. Sometimes like you may come to the table with all the right stuff, say the right things, be really curious and open and flexible, but sometimes it's just, it's just not a right fit and that's okay. And it's a two way street. And if you feel like, you know, you did the best that you could, great. And it's not like a personal attack on you. Rejections do happen. And that's, that, that is life. And that is, it's tough to, to experience the show goes on. As long as we're continuously improving ourselves, being reflective and finding ways that we can be better, focusing on things that we can control. So, gents, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. It's been a while and definitely came came back with a bang. So, Legends, I hope you enjoyed uh, this podcast on the iMoveU podcast and we'll catch you soon. Laters. 
This is the iMove You podcast, getting you private practice ready. We give you fresh ideas on mindset, communication, and clinical skills so you can have a fulfilled career.